Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick, um, or in the case of the novels, I'll be looking at a part of, of one of his works, and I'll be going through them in roughly chronological order. And we have come to the end of this long slog through the, the, the stories of 1953 and 1954, um, Strange Eden. The story we're going to look at today was published in December of 1954 and therefore is one of the final stories. It'll be the final story published in 1954 that we'll be looking at. Um, so that's an achievement. We've, we've now looked at about half of Philip K. Dick's short stories. I won't be including some of the fragments of, of novels that got published Um you know, as, as short stories, I'll be, you know, looking at things collected in, in the collected stories. So that's about half of them. Uh, and that they were all published before 1955. And after that, his production of short stories has decreased a lot. He, he, 1955 was a big year. He still published 12 stories uh, in that, that year. But after that, there were some years he didn't publish any stories. And it, it, it was more like three or four. And there was one or two bigger years where I think there was, you know, a handful those years but pretty much his production of short stories became much more sporadic after that point and he started to focus more and more on novels so if you like philip kiddick's novels uh we'll be getting to to them you know pretty shortly in the foreseeable future um but today we'll be looking at strange eden um so strange eden is it's a story about gender relations it it's kind of a fantasy story. It's not really a science fiction story at all. So I would categorize it as fantasy, even though its setting is is suggestive of science fiction settings. Um, and it's a bit odd. It, it's it's certainly not one of my favorite stories by him. Um, but it's it has you know it has some interesting things to say about the relationship between men and women, at least. So. And then in that sense, maybe we could put this next to stories like Beyond the Door and In the Garden and Of Withered Apples and Human Is and, and stories like that that deal with, deal with the relationships between, between men and women. But Strange Eden was published in Imagination. It was a, a popular uh, magazine for Dick. I think he published a handful of stories in 1954 in Imagination in the December of 1954 issue. You can find it in Second Variety and Other Classic Stories by Philip Dick, the third volume of The Collected Stories. So let's just jump into the into the plot. So we have a Captain Johnson here. Uh, and he's a captain uh, on a ship, an interplanetary survey team. So his job is to go to planets and, and you know, just check them out. See if they're M-class or whatever. People can live there. But he leaves the ship to observe the surface of a green and rich planet. He is pleased to look at this, to find it relatively untouched. And, you know, he had, he realizes like had Terran development been here, it would have been spoiled. So we got a kind of an ecological suggestion here that where humans go, they tend to corrupt 
the earth and this is something dick has done several times um, survey team is a story that did that quite well imaginary impossible planet not imaginary impossible planet did it too so this idea of where humans have gone they tended to leave destruction in their wake um, is something dick did a lot of and here we have a slight suggestion of it that captain johnson this guy who's actually surveying these planets it seems to for future exploitation is actually glad that humans hadn't been here before now brent a crew member more experienced than the captain is interested in the presence of non of non-terran species and he starts to look for clues of, of local i guess animal species because there's obviously plant species johnson says that that they can leave uh, it, the planet is not really necessary for survey, and he says the planet actually starts to give him the creeps. But nevertheless, Brent sets out alone to explore the area. He is an experienced sportsman, and he's hoping to catch some living prey out in the forest. So he comes across various weird creatures, and they're all earth creatures. They're not like alien creatures, but sometimes their their sizes are off and their shapes are off. So he comes across this large cat, which is the size of a rhino sleeping. With some regret at killing a sleeping beast, he prepares to shoot when two more cats walk by and they just kind of ignore him. Brent continues exploring and he starts to think maybe he can open up an elite resort here. You know, game would be tame. These cats seem, I mean, they would be exotic creatures that people would want to hunt because they're giant cats. They'd be, they seem to be kind of tame. They don't know about humans. They'd be super exotic, and he could make a lot of money. Basically, running a tourist operation here. So he's he's seen dollar signs in his in his eyes. Farther down the trail, he sees a small brick house, and he realizes that this planet is in fact inhabited. There are people living here. It turns out to be a farm, and all the animals here are completely tame and docile. And he finally meets. Well, he meets one of the people living here, and it's a girl. She addresses him by name, calls him Brent, and says that she's been expecting him. And then she introduces her to her brother, Eets, A-E-E-T-E-S. But he kind of just disappears. He quickly disappears. He's not really part of the story. The girl explains that they were following the communications of the ship, um, and that she learned to speak Terran through encounters with their planet long times ago. So they had visited Terra before even. And so now we have alien astronauts. So let's keep that in mind. We have alien astronauts. And they knew how to speak English or Terra and whatever. The sci-fi convention to create a, a world language to deal with communication. They speak this. Because they had visited before. And the Terrans though didn't know about these aliens. But they had contact for thousands of years. And the girl confesses that she's 11,000 years old. Scientists in earlier times slowed, in their species, I guess, slowed down the aging process. And this has allowed the population to continue to expand into the stars. Brent speculates that all the myths and religions were founded by these aliens. So let's stop here a moment. This is another big interest of Philip Dix, is, especially in this time of his career, is how do, can I find naturalistic non-supernatural, preternatural, if you will, uh, explanations for the origins of the world religions. And he's, he did it in um, Prominent Author and The Skull, most clearly, and, and to a degree in, um, what's it called? 
I forget the name of the story, but it's the one where the hamsters become energy beings or whatever. That 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 kind of plays with this idea too that of gods. Well, present for Pat also. All these are efforts to try to explain religion. And here, so all these myths and religions were based on these traveling aliens who came. And so Zeus was one of these aliens and Jesus was one of these aliens, whatever you want to you want to project and, and assume about that. And that's the idea he has. And the game, the girl confesses that she introduced the game of chess to Earth. And I suppose anything, any cultural remnant that we don't have a clear origin from, you can just say, well, the aliens did it, right? And there's, of course, that show on the History Channel that, that sort of does that. She asks about Captain Johnson, again, calling them by name, knowing who they are. And she says, he's smarter than you, Brent. Now, here's where it gets a little bit rough. Brent tries to rape this girl at this point. And I'm not really sure where it comes from. Is it is it almost he was being mentally dominated? It just comes out of nowhere in the story. Here, I'll just read it. They're talking about chess. You don't play? Too bad. What do you do? What about your companion? He looks as if his intellectual capacity is greater than yours. Does he play chess? Maybe you ought to go back and get him. I don't think so, Brent said. He moved towards her. As far as I know, he doesn't do anything. He reached out and caught her by the arm. The girl pulled away astonished. Brent gathered up her, her in his big arms and drew her tight against him. I don't think we need him, he said. He kissed her on the mouth. Her red lips were warm and sweet. She gasped, gasped and fought wildly. He could feel her slim body struggling against him. A cloud of fragrant scent billowed from her dark hair. She tore away at him with her sharp nails, breast heaving violently. He let go and she slid away, wary and bright-eyed, breathing quickly, body tense, drawing her luminous robe around her. I could kill you, she whispered. She touched her jewel belt. You don't understand, do you? So that's, it actually happens. And, and Dick put this in the story, unfortunately. So she's pushed off. She tells him to leave. Because they don't like to kill Terrence. And if she, you stay, you're gonna, I'm going to have to kill you. She reminds him that he is just an infant compared to her. And Terra owes all their major civilizational achievements to them. Terra is just a stopover in, the, in a galactic empire controlled by the species. Brent's sexual attraction at the, girls, at the girl, which I guess is the only explanation we have for his attempts to essentially to, to rape this alien. This is at odds with her powers, knowledge, and story. Using telepathy, the girl realized that she reminds Brent of an old lover. She admires Brent's bravery, but warns him against his ignorance. And impressed, she asked him to sit next to her. And then they have sex. The girl warns Brent that the contact with her will change him fundamentally. And it'll change him in the same way that these other animals were domesticated. So when I suggested before that maybe his intense desire to possess and, you know, have sex with this woman, this alien, may have been a form of mental domination by the alien herself is because it seems she's collecting these, these men and turning them into these animals. She says, this is going to happen to you. You're going to become domesticated like these animals, only it's going to be much more intense. She, however, does not 
care the harm she might inflict. Overcome with her beauty, Brent agrees to stay despite the warnings. She allows him on the condition that he never blames her for the consequences of, of, his, of the actions of, of their sexual encounter. Now, flash forward sometime later, Captain Johnson is worried that Brent will never return. The girl arrives to the ship and apologizes for not returning Brent at once. She tells them that Brent will be staying behind with the other men. Johnson later sees a large cat-like creature following the girl into the woods. Johnson decides that this planet must be investigated. In his last sight at the surface is the beast, the, the cat, um, the giant cat creature, shaking its fist at the ship, sort of giving us the wink-wink that this is Brent transformed into this domesticated um, creature. So that's it. Um, there's there's a couple unfortunate things certainly to to deal with in this story. One is that that weird rape attempt, and then it's just converting a few moments later to consensual sex, and then this this idea that somehow a woman's sexuality is is a drug. It's it's something that can't be resisted. Certainly, many reactionary philosophies and religious perspectives have this idea that. A woman's sexuality is something that drives men insane. I mean, this is part of the justification for veiling and all these other kind of prudish restrictions on on women's bodies. And we got a bit of that here. And then this whole idea of like that women's goal is is sort of to collect passive and domesticated men. And and it's almost I, I almost want to say Dick is presenting strange eating here as a metaphor for marriage. Um Maybe you don't see it, but you see you see similar kind of themes in some of his other stories about marriage. The only difference here is you got this harem. This this alien has a harem of of domesticated men rather than just one. Um, we now we have a little taste here of Dick's interest in of the ancient alien theory. We get a piece of it near the end of the, near the end of the story. Quote, I've watched your race advance and fall back into barbarism and advance again. Endless nations and empires. I was alive when the Egyptians first began spreading out into Asia Minor. I saw the city builder of the Tigris Valley begin putting up their brick houses. I saw the Assyrian war chariots roll out to fight. I and my friends visited Greeks and Rome and Minos and Lydia and the great kingdoms of the red-skinned Indians. We were the gods of the ancients, saints to the Christians. We come and go. As your people advance, we came less. End quote. Now, this is the ancient alien thesis, right? The, the, the idea, let me try to summarize as I understand the alien astronaut theory, which I don't accept in any way. But it's any history's mystery especially dealing with ancient civilizations, like how were the, the most common one would be, how were the pyramids built? If there's any difficulty in, in our effort to understand how humans could have done this great achievement, then we throw in aliens as the God of the gaps answer for this. Um, now this is just lazy history. It's also against the facts. We, we have plenty of evidence of how these, the pyramids were built and other things were, were done stonehenge or certain technologies or whatever and the biggest problem i have with the ancient alien thesis is not because it it's trying to answer history's mysteries i i think efforts to do that it you know are good but they had to do it without much evidence and then there's an assumption here that humans can't do things 
right? And then especially our ancestors were too stupid to do things. And, and I just reject that out of hand. You know, all these things, building cities, war chariots, inventing chess, these are things humans certainly were capable of. And this idea that you need aliens to explain this stuff is just laziness. Whatever value it might have for science fiction writing is, is beside the point. Now, this is not a great example of, of what you can do with that. I'm, I'm sure there is good science fiction that can come out of the ancient alien astronaut thesis, but this certainly isn't it. Now, like here, they're apparently only interested in humanity at one point, the ancient societies. And it's bad archaeology. It's bad history. It's bad humanism, too. Because the idea that humans can't get along without gods or outside help. Now, it's in the infinites, which I think is a little more, a little more interesting effort at this. Where we have these mind-reading teleological evolutional creatures, these hamsters who evolve into energy beings. That's a little bit more compelling. Um, but really what we have to get to in this story is the sexual politics of this piece. Now we have a story written, you know, written a little bit earlier, uh, published very early in Dick's career called Piper in the Woods. And in that story, we're given a rather ephemeral but elegantly beautiful girl who drives men to refuse their work and their mission on an asteroid. And they begin to claim to be like plants and they start to resist work and just lays around all day. And then when they start to investigate it, they find there's these aliens and in particular there's this beautiful but really kind of nymphy girl in the woods and so there's a fascination with this with this girl but she's not presented as conventionally beautiful it's not a conventional sexual desire it's just somehow knowing her and experiencing this this creature allows them to be released from their the work ethic here brent is overcome with desire from the girl and and even you know tries to rape her now there's there can only be intention right there's never any threat to this alien she clearly outpowered him in every way right she could have stopped him at any point and she seems able even able to control these creatures minds and these men not creatures humans minds brent completely misread the power relations now it's, it's not it's still a bit of a mystery to me why where this this desire to suddenly rape her comes from i mean maybe he he kind of had some fascination with her but it it you know makes brent look like a really horrible person and you know he is in, in a way that's the crew we have here we have brent is sort of the jock and captain johnson is kind of the nerd and even the girl says so Um, so at that point in the story, he sees her like the prey he wanted to catch. And he was dreaming about like coming here and starting a, a ranch to, you know, hunt these creatures and make a lot of money. In his mind, she is a native species, easily dominated and controlled like the planet, like the native creatures of the planet. He is never a threat to her. And she never loses control of the situation, eventually being able to use his desire for her to expand her harem of former humans. Through her sexual power, she's able to bring the colonizer into her way of living. So we have stories from colonial societies, of settler societies, of Americans going to live with Indians. We have a certain degree of sexualization of the Native American. 
Uh, we certainly have uh, the Jezebel figure in African-American history, right? Where, which kind of gave credence to this idea that, that these slave masters who went and, and raped their slaves were victims of the treachery and beguiling and, you know, winking cunning of the, of this, of the beautiful slave girl. So there's all kinds of baggage to this idea of this, the ability of women to mentally dominate men. And especially in this kind of colonial setting we're given in this story. It makes this whole story, this whole story very, very problematic in, in, in a lot of ways. And I don't know how much more I want to really say about this. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's better ways of reading this. Maybe I'm being too hard on Philip Dick here. But I, I think he really lost it here. And it doesn't even work as a very good story on the alien astronaut. So it's interesting, but it's at the end of the day, at the end of the story, it's a little just too distasteful in, in your mouth. Um, you know, all the metaphors, we got the hunter trying to bag game and then getting the girl and the hunter becomes the hunter. You know, maybe there's something to, to all that, but it's, you know, it, it just doesn't work for me. So I guess that's all I'm going to say for it, but maybe you had a different experience with strange Eden. So, um, let me know what you think. Um, what do you think of the sexual politics of this story? What do you think about like the rape scene and um, this kind of harem. What do you think about the ancient astronaut thesis and theory and how it's been presented, how it's been popularized in culture in, in recent years? Uh, if you have any comments on any of that or anything else that I'm missing, please write me uh, here or you can write me at 100pagescast at gmail.com and I'll try to get back to you as quickly as I can. I'll try to respond to some comments on uh, in future episodes as well. So thank you so much for listening and for bearing with me as I worked my way through the stories of 1954. Sorry to have to leave you on a, uh, in my view, a rather distasteful story in a lot of ways. But anyways, we're going to be moving on to the stories of 1955, which is a really uh, great period. So we're going to have 12 more episodes um, of stories over about six weeks. And then we're going to jump into The Man Who Japed, uh, the, the next full novel that that we're going to look at so thank you so much for listening and um you know be come back next time when we'll be in 1955 that